You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. In a shocking development that will come as a surprise to no one, there's no merit to the idea that some people have a left brain or right brain personality, or at least that terminology does not make sense at all. And scene. <laughs> uh, I will take my SAG award right now. Give me an EGOT. <laughs> Welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I'll be your host, Abraham. And I am your 1950s broadcaster, Shane. Love it. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Today we are talking about this whole idea of the left brain, right brain personality thing. Now, as we mentioned, this is something that pretty much everyone who listens to this podcast already knows is a un useful idea <laughs> to try and put it nicely i guess if you know us you know we're cynical and you know we're going to debunk some myths and so this is going to be the next myth we debunk it's not cynical it's just we are wed to empirical objective science <laughs> that's it <laughs> and so we really like taking down ridiculous pseudoscience yeah and walking all over it roughly <laughs> so <laughs> I'd like to take an approach, maybe unexpected, in the sense that we're not just going to say, hey, surprise, surprise, there's not such a thing as a left brain, right brain personality type, but also explain where this idea came from and also why people still sometimes believe this idea. And then we'll even talk a little bit about real left brain, right brain people. Not much. That will actually mostly be sort of in the in the where it came from thing, but just a general understanding about why also this is kind of important. So I want to preface this by saying that substantial portions of the research for this discussion were obtained from a blog written on the website Science-Based Medicine by the author was Stephen Novella. And the, the link for that is the first one in the show notes. So it's easy to find a uh, really, really great one and very helpful to find a lot of the information that I needed to prepare the notes for this. So if you're interested in learning more, go to that place. It's going to be interesting as we kind of dig into this, because when we start talking about why people believe this, it's probably due to this idea of we've got this curiosity and this fascination with any information that tells us who we are and tells us more about ourselves. And if we have a way to classify that in a really nice, neat little package, then that's even better. Right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think anything that is like palm reading is an example where we go to have someone tell us something about ourselves or your astrological sign where someone will tell us something about ourselves that we that we think we don't know and so this whole idea that we're discovering things about ourselves and this fascination with things about ourselves those ideas feel kind of attractive to us and furthermore with the left brain right brain personality thing Generally, it has this sort of veneer of science because it references specifically our brain. And well, that's a tangible thing. Like astrology, that's not really a tangible thing. But our brains, we know that we have brains and we know that they're important in being alive and doing things. And a lot of these too will also include specific images of brains. And there is even one scientist or one psychologist that will talk about who really pushed his agenda on this topic by publishing a lot on it. Yeah. And so there is this almost maybe like a conspiratorial glee that people get from thinking that they have uncovered or know something more about an underlying nature of reality and that they discovered something present but unknown. So like they discover this thing that's really cool and they want to share this idea that's really cool and they write about it and they talk about it a lot and and then it comes up to to be something 
nothing more than a little bit of fluff. Yeah, exactly. And well said. And I, but I think that this idea for a lot of people does feel attractive and relatable that they see this as, oh, I can totally see myself being a left brain person, or I can totally see myself as this right brain person. And I think without knowing exactly how the brain works, well, I'm not saying that you don't, but what do you think most people would think that they are in terms of being left brain versus right brain? I can't remember which one is tied to which, but I remember a lot of people would say that they felt like more creative and artistic and kind of like that side of the brain than anybody. Nobody wants to be analytical or like a computer or anything like that, which is, I think, left side, right? Correct. Yeah. So, and I didn't find any hard numbers on this, but most people would probably, or a lot of people would probably like to think of themselves as being these like really creative, thoughtful, inventive, right brain people, which is not a thing. And <laughs> being creative doesn't, anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. But if you actually were to understand how a lot of the brain process works and you want to put it that way, then probably most people, like 90% of people, are left brain people. And one piece of evidence of that is that most people are right-handed, right-hand dominant when they use a pen or when yeah. they manipulate things. And the, the right hand is controlled by the left hemisphere. Also, our language, most of the localization of parts of our brain that deal with language are in the left hemisphere. So... We do a lot with our left hemisphere, but it's important to know that there's not such a thing as left and right brain personality. And so it doesn't really matter because it's all nonsense anyway. <laughs> I think that's the entire thesis of this podcast. <laughs> it's all nonsense anyway. <laughs> it's all nonsense. That's what we should have just called it. It shouldn't have been why we do what we do. It's just, it's all nonsense anyway. <laughs> then we could have tackled anything, not just psychology. Yeah, that's it. Here we go. That's going to be part of the why we do what we do podcast network. Sweet. So the next podcast. Love it. Let's get into a little bit of history about this. I think that's important to kind of know where this comes from. And when we start talking about this, the name that comes up repeatedly is a man named Roger Sperry. And I don't think that he has anything to do with the shoes. <laughs> I don't think so either. But I actually wondered that when I was reading this <laughs> as well, because I was like, I do see Sperry on shoes a lot. Was he doing brain research and pedal comfort <laughs> research? To be fair, they but... were the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't think I've ever owned any. I just know about them. Yeah. But Roger Sperry, he won a Nobel Prize because of a lot of the research he did in the 1950s and 60s on patients who had had their corpus callosum severed. And that's for those people who are, don't have their brain anatomy super down pat. Are the two hemispheres of our brain are joined by a very thick cable and network of tissue that's called the corpus callosum. And what was discovered was that there, when there are people who have seizure disorders, for some people, if they sever that corpus callosum, then that will attenuate a lot of their seizures. And there was concern about what would happen to them when that was severed, understanding that our brain is important and that just cutting lesions in it seemed like maybe a bad idea. And they also don't necessarily cut the entire thing. There are there are various levels of how much is cut from the corpus callosum. But anyway, what he noted was that there were some really interesting changes in personality, but more importantly, changes on a lot of other cognitive tasks for people who had had their corpus callosum severed. And so out of this, he started to develop this idea of there being sort of dominance in the hemispheres. And so here's an example of what would happen to some of these people. 
as I mentioned, and for those who don't know, our, our brain crosses. So things that we use on the right side of our body are essentially manipulated by the left hemisphere and things used on the left side of our body are essentially manipulated by the right hemisphere. And that's essentially how that goes. Well, what he would do is he would show an image that was split. So there was like a divider sort of right in the middle of your at the nose so that one eye was seeing one image and the other eye was seeing the other image. The one that I, I was reading about is he on the left side, there's a picture of snow on the other side, the picture of a rabbit. And he said, what kind of tool would you need for this? And the person said a shovel. And they said, why? And the person said, so I could shovel the rabbit's poo. And it was weird because what he noted on many, many instances of this were that they would be able to give you an answer, but not tell you why, but they could sort of post hoc rationalize a reason why that didn't make a lot of sense, but you could see where they connected the dots yeah. just like that one. And so they don't, they couldn't tell you that they saw a picture of snow, but nevertheless, the tool they came up with was a shovel and that had to do with sort of how they were processing that information that was no longer being communicated. It was being processed separately. Another one was that if they asked a question, it was like in just into one ear, or maybe if they had the question written, do you believe in God? One part of the brain would say yes. And the other part of the brain would say no, depending on how they set it up for the person. And again, they had a hard time then explaining how they came to their answers. And they'd always rationalize it in some way. But there was this weird sort of breakdown and how that person processed that information. Huh. That's interesting. That'd be fun to design those experiments. Agreed. I'm going to build like a little cardboard thing to put in for my face as we do these notes. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be helpful at all. Basically, we didn't see any writing from Sperry specifically to the end of hemispheric dominance in personality, but there was a website that claimed that Sperry believed from his research that people primarily use right or left hemisphere in their general thinking. And I could see maybe where some of the, like his conclusions from those experiments might lead to that thought process or how that thought process might bias those studies. But it's safe to say that it comes from that space. Right. So it's, again, understanding why people believed in this to begin with, because there was this sort of science underlying it sort of generally, at least the idea fit within a worldview that embraced access to tangible things about the universe. Another psychologist and the one I mentioned earlier, his name is Bruce Morton. And he also conducted several studies in search of support for personality related to the dominance of one hemisphere over another. And so I'll go ahead and just jump into his research here, but then we have a few terms to unpack really quick. So first, Morton in this 2013 paper published in Frontiers in Psychology was essentially a summary and a synthesis of all the research that had been done on this idea of right and left brain personality. And he concluded that people do, in fact, have either right or left brain dominance in their hemispheres in terms of their personality traits. And so I had to read through this article to really understand where he was pulling this from. So as I said, this is a review article that summarized research, which essentially taken together all individually supported the idea that people's personalities could be reliably linked to whatever hemisphere of their brain was most prominent in controlling their behavior patterns. Yeah. So when you hear that, it sounds like, okay, there's probably some evidence for this thing. And when you start digging into the literature and you start digging this research, you'll first note that 90% or more of the studies that he cited in this article, which sounds like cowboy psychology, by the way, frontiers in psychology. <laughs> 90% or more were studies that he cited that were his own. Right. 
And it actually may have been closer to 100%. I did reduce it to 90. I didn't do the exact calculations, but it was like there was one where it was him and another author. And then he did cite another author who didn't actually do this research, but he used to support his research by essentially pointing to the localization of things in the brain. And so it was basically just him. Also, he didn't tend to have co-authors. It was basically just him on almost all of these studies. It sounds like a real Bruce move. <laughs> so anyway again it's not necessarily a problem to have someone who does a lot of particular research and so they follow up with on that research with more studies but like this is almost entirely him he seems to be the only one that i really found that had a lot of prominence where he was the person doing and supporting this research a second point here is that although several studies he mentioned were MRI studies, it is important to understand how they define left and right brain in order to group them in those MRI studies. So it's not enough to just say, are we seeing more activity in the right or left hemisphere? You have to understand what he's even defining and what tasks he's presenting to say, how am I going to determine whether what's going on in the right or left hemisphere tells me more about whether or not that we can say that hemisphere is the dominant one that controls that person's personality. And so that leads to the third major point here. So they, and by they, I mean he, one of the tasks he presented was something called a dichotomous deafness task. And I had a really, or a test, I had a hard time really understanding exactly what was being presented. So I tried to summarize it here basically the same way he summarized it. So basically what he said is there were two tones that were presented simultaneously in both ears and they were spoken words and it was a constant and a vowel like go or to or no things like that are all all of those and an o's for some reason i don't think they were all o's but it was just a consonant vowel sound they were played in both ears and then he asked the subjects to report what they heard and his conclusion was if more than 40 percent of them reported hearing the word that was in their minor ear and i don't know why he said minor like i'm wondering if he specifically had the volume lower there but anyway, if more than 40% reported hearing the sound in their minor ear, then he said that they did have dichotomous hearing, which is to say they could, he, they could hear both separately. However, if less than 40% reported on this, then he would say that they were dichotomously deaf, which is to say they were only attending to the one in their strong ear. And again, I don't know why he classified these as either strong or weak. It didn't say in this article. I could have dug into another article, but I was really trying to pull from a lot of different sources, and it felt like I was just going to go down a wormhole that would be more of a waste of time than it would contribute to this. My question would be, where did that 40% come from? Like, it sounds like a good number that worked for maybe sorting people or maybe like classifying things, but it I don't really understand where it came from. It came from, eh, yeah. seemed like a good idea. Yeah. That's kind of actually what he said in the article <laughs> was like... This was helpful for sorting people, and it was consistent, and it seemed like a good way to do it. So that's what I did. Like, oh, arbitrary Bruce showing up here with 40%. Okay. Another method that he used to determine whether they were right brain or left brain was this questionnaire designed to determine whether or not you were left or right brained. And so essentially, this would be a series of questions that you'd answer that would then tell you if you're right or left brain. So let's give a hypothetical test. I'm not pulling this from his test. I'm just going to make up my own just to give an example of this. All right, Shane. Yeah. Would you rather have Skittles or go to the beach right now? I would rather go to the beach right now, actually. Okay. That means that you're left brained. Oh. Because 
<laughs> I think in every in every bit of my worldview, Skittles and the beach are always overlapping. So I guess making that decision leads to that conclusion. I just, <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, I think it sounds like a lot of stuff just was kind of just what was there. Like, I wonder if a lot of his tests was like, do you like pencils or pens? Probably. And honestly, like, I didn't look at his test, but the reason that I was comfortable doing this snarky sarcastic example of a test where I just made up the answer is because there is no way to determine what would be a left brain or right brain answer. So it doesn't matter what the test consists of. You could literally say like, are you a unicorn or a pencil? And if no matter what you say, like your answer could just be whatever. Like there, it doesn't, it doesn't say anything about whether or not your personality is determined by your right or left brain. So it's, the test is invalid. It's premise. Another one, and this one is kind of funny to me, was a right or left hand drawing task. <laughs> so, like, if you were better at your right or left hand, then that would that would indicate whether you were more right or left brain personality type. So, huh. apparently, ninety nine percent of people are left brain by that. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like too there were a lot of other questionnaires that were developed as a result of this, and so they were trying to kind of really test this out and really really come up with some. I don't know, some way to classify groups of people by what side of the brain they are. There were at least three other questionnaires and another drawing task that involved a mirror. But the point being that essentially what he, and again, he published all of these almost entirely by himself. <laughs> the point being that what he would do is he would take these tests, he would overlap their data and say that, okay, when I did their drawing test, they showed up as this personality type. When they answered the questions, they showed up as this personality type. When I looked at their brain and asked them these questions, they showed up as this personality type. Therefore, I have validated my tests. That's, again, where this veneer of science comes from is like, yeah, you could line up a bunch of different tests and say that you've got correlation. But like, really, I could do that and prove that you could fit exactly seven angels on the head of a pin if I define my parameters in such a way that I'm going to get the results I want. And that's exactly what happened here. He defined hypothetical parameters. He came up with hypothetical questions. And then he just lined them up and said, hey, look, my tests work. And then that's how we went through and did those MRI studies and validated them as being legitimate proof of the left right brain thing so they weren't based on anything but a decision to categorize them in a convenient way so nielsen et al in 2013 in the journal uh plos1 they closely scrutinized 1011 mri studies to look for confirmation or refutation of hemisphere dominance among various cognitive tasks and found that there was no statistical or substantial evidence to support hemicity yeah that was the term that morton used and some other people described as being as just the, the term that means hemisphere dominant is hemicity hemicity yeah and to build on that and i didn't include it here but i found another 2017 study that also looked at another thousand patients with mris and showed no there's just no evidence to suggest that there was actual dominance in the hemispheres for especially for things as complex and overarching as personality those are huge ends yeah yeah those are those are definitely sufficient to reach good statistical significance for for your purposes and they're not so large that you can find statistical significance in anything like they're they're right in a good sweet spot right of how many how many you need for good statistics so how does this work it's, it's important to kind of look at all this and kind of we want to get into like the nitty-gritty and the nuts and bolts of this right so how does this work 
most people at this point have seen this image that is printed on t-shirts and often is on computers and whatnot. It's this image of a brain. And on the left side, you have a black and white outline of a brain. And then it'll say things like science and there's gears and numbers and beakers and sometimes a ruler and things like that on the left. And then on the right hemisphere, there's this paint and music and rainbows just exploding out from the side of the brain. Have you seen this? You know what picture I'm talking about? Oh yeah. And I mean, I feel like that would definitely lead people to be like i want to be the fun side sure yeah and so anyway that's the same idea and sort of where that comes from and it is 100 wrong but that's something that you'll often see now what's important here before we dive into this is to define both the words dominant and personality so that we can better understand our terms and trying to un- like unpack the meaning of a dominant hemisphere with respect to personality. Yeah. So let's start with dominance because it seems to be kind of the big thing that people are are leaning on here. So dominance would seem to imply that one side of your brain is used primarily over the option of using the other side of your brain for general cognitive and physical tasks. So basically your brain selects one side to do the things it needs to do. Yeah. And succinctly, dominance means that greater than 50% of allocation on tasks can be attributed to one hemisphere over another globally throughout an individual's day. So you tend to lean heavily on one side of your brain is what this is saying. Right. And that's for all sort of tasks as as you're doing things. And then personality simply refers to the pattern of behavior in which you predictably engage, including your mannerisms, your tendencies toward planning for and reacting to situations and the general pattern of things that you do throughout the day. Yeah. And so when you start looking at these definitions in particular and and just the definitions alone, they can severely cripple a conceptual reason for believing in the attribution of personality to a specific dominance of the hemisphere. If you understand anything about the brain at all. So let's go ahead and explore that part of this. Okay. So a long time ago, and even recently, sometimes if you do a search online for the whole myth of you only use 10% of your brain, let's just say you search for, do you only use 10% of your brain? You will almost certainly immediately find information that debunks that claim. And we've known that it's not true that you use only 10% of your brain for a long time, despite that being a thing that still comes up every once in a while. And this is also starting to be true for the idea of the right brain, left brain personality types. But there are still several credulous sites that claim support for this idea, and it's very easy in the initial page of search results to find a website that will claim to test your personality to determine whether you are right or left brain personality type. And I did not want to take them because I don't want to give them any of my time because they're nonsense, uh, <laughs> but they, they are out there, and that's still a thing that sort of exists. It's like super BuzzFeed worthy. Yes, very much so. As we start going through this, it's important to understand that there are relatively localized parts of our brain for executing certain tasks. So, for example, you've got your motor cortex, your occipital lobe, things that have to do with language. There are a lot of parts of our brain that are localized. Yeah, exactly. And so, for example, producing language, we can see there is a part of our brain that tends to develop when we're young that's involved with the production of language always and damage to that part of the brain will impair the ability to produce language. There's another part of the brain that seems to be critically involved in receiving and interpreting language that we hear. And so damage to that part of the brain, that part of the brain tends to impact how well people seem to understand things when they're told and stuff like that. And there are many, many examples of that where things that we do are specifically set up for a part of our brain for that to be executed with that. And it's also true that we do have two hemispheres to our brain as well. 
Right. And I mean, kind of going to what you're saying is like, all you have to look at is research on, on lobotomies. You have to look at the case of Phineas Gage and look at how brain injuries impact those certain things, right? Like you said, there's many, many, many examples of that. So yes, we have two parts of our brain. We have two hemispheres, but these regions and hemispheres are massively, massively interconnected. So language works by relying on hearing motor coordination, thinking and planning and memory among other processes. So it, it's so much more than just speaking right yeah and so even producing a comprehensible sentence requires many regions of the brain not just one it's not coming from that department you know it's coming from all these different places it's a collaborative effort exactly and not to mention that the brain is also keeping all of our essential body functions keeping us alive we're breathing we're heart our hearts pumping we're digesting stuff there's all these other things happening on top of the fact that we're producing language and doing all that right so it's understanding that just doing any single simple action requires an enormous amount of coordination for it to happen in the first place. And furthermore, there is no conceptual or empirical reason to believe that localization of those specific tasks means global hemisphere dominance with respect to personality. And in fact, there's evidence completely to the opposite of that. Yeah. And so as Dr. Novella puts it, quote, both sides of our brain work together seamlessly to produce one consciousness. There's no significant basis in neuroscience for the hypothesis that people have hemisphere dominant cognitive styles, end quote. Right. So let's dig into just what all this sort of means and how to interpret all of this. So I think we've fairly clearly laid out the point that there's there's a fundamental flaw with even the basic premise that there that we could have hemisphere dominance. It doesn't make any sense. Even with our corpus callosum severed, we still do not have hemisphere dominance because we need our brains and all parts of our brains to be able to coordinate and do the things that we need. I will point out that people who experience severe brain injury when they're very, very young can actually recover remarkably well from those injuries sometimes. I wouldn't recommend it, but like, don't go test this out, please. But it has been shown that sometimes people who experience even surgically having significant portions of their brain removed, having their brain infected by things at a very young age, what happens is the rest of their brain essentially compensates for that. And those localizations just go to other areas. And so we do start with the ability to move those things about a bit. And all this really is to say that like we use our whole brain whenever we do anything and that our brain is connected to all the other parts of our body. So we, we don't even say that like for the most part from the perspective that we take, we don't attribute anything to just the brain because the brain is part of the role of the context and the brain interprets that context, but the context needs to be there for the brain to do its job. The history, the practice, the habits, those all need to have been developed through a dynamic interplay of that person and their environment and their experiences for it to develop the way that it did. And it just doesn't make any sense to even attribute like personality is so complex because it relies on so many env environmental circumstances that we can't even attribute it to just the brain, let alone just a hemisphere of the brain. That doesn't make any sense. But there's also the sort of, what are the stakes here? And as Dr. Novella pointed out in that blog post, 
this is relatively harmless to an extent. Yeah, and so the general concern here is regarding how poor information such as this, like things like this right brain, left brain personality, how it impedes our understanding of reality and psychology. So that goes into the dangers of things like pseudoscience and misinformation. And that's really the pro probably the most harmful part of all of this. I always bring it back to this just because it's one of the most astounding things that exists, but this idea of the flat earthers. I mean, I, I still I just have a hard time even wrapping my head around how ridiculous of an idea that that is. It's so demonstrably false. The point being here, like believing that the earth is flat is not really particularly harmful for the most part, but it's this pervasive misunderstanding and doubt of science and expertise and the facts. This is one of those areas where it's just a straight, flat-out denial of our understanding of science and reality and psychology. And that's a problem. And so we don't want to just say, eh, who cares if you believe that? We actually do want to have a better, correct understanding about these things and not just allow ridiculous assumptions to go unchecked forever. And I think the point you just made is really all about that issue of scientific literacy, right? Like it's a core problem in our culture. It's right. not that people are right-brained or left-brained. So furthermore, there is a concern regarding, you know, how we view one another in our relationships and how viewing people as having maybe particular left and right brain strengths can actually pigeonhole them into situations where they either miss an opportunity for experiencing an opinion or a personality different from their own. They can be counterproductive to building to build strength in some kind of area of weakness or even ostracizes belonging to an out group, right? So we always talk about that us versus in problem that comes up. And so, you know, when you get like kind of put into an out group, you don't get to get involved in the in-group and these arbitrary designations of of left brain versus right brain can contribute to that problem yeah i think i think you said us versus in but i think you meant to say us versus them yeah us versus them yeah i apologize if i did stutter over that <laughs> no it's okay i just wanted to make sure that was that was clear that yeah the one of the the problems here is that this just is another way of discriminating people as not belonging when it's not even a real designation to begin with and it might be based on an artifact of a test and it doesn't contribute in any way to helping to support people like there is literally nothing to be gained from this and only things to be lost. Yeah. And again, I, I want to quote Dr. Novella here because he just said this so well. He said, quote, labeling people as left or right brained is no better than approaching people according to their astrological sign or blood type, except that it has the patina of neuroscience that may cause some otherwise rational people to take the idea seriously, end quote. And this is this going back to this idea of scientific literacy and then just the comparison that like nothing is gained by these labels we we learn nothing about people we learn we expand in no way upon our relationships this is just a totally derelict vapid idea that contributes nothing to to society to culture to science or to our understanding it's just a, a stumbling block in the road to our understanding yeah so cut it out <laughs> So ready to, I mean, this has been a, you know, a fairly nice short one and we knew it kind of would be, but I felt like it was useful to go ahead and take it on. It's been on the list for a while, so may as well debunk it now. Yeah. If there's ever a good time to debunk stuff, it's now. So, you know, I think as far as take home points, there's never really any sort of neurological foundation to the belief in right brain, left brain dominant personality. There's never been any solid collaborative research to say that it exists and nothing definitive to prove that it ever existed in the first place and to that point there's plenty of evidence now to specifically show that this doesn't exist that there's no such thing as right or left brain or right or left hemisphere dominance of the brain with respect to personality yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and 
throw out that idea that I used to be right-brained, even though I'm probably more left-brained anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Shane stamps this idea. Disapprove. (laughs) Disapproved. I wish I had a stamp. This just in, it's baloney. (laughs) You can actually get custom-made stamps like that. I've gotten one before. This is... The, the name and then approved and gave it to someone as a gift and that they could stamp That's fantastic. things with their I name love on that. it. That's it. Approved. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Now I just want one that just says baloney. <laughs> I like that. I want to throw in one more take home here, Justin, that this was developed out of a general observation of how people behave differently with respect to having their corpus callosum severed by Roger Sperry. But the there's only seems to be one guy who's really trying to push this agenda, but all the rest of psychology and science and empirical, thoughtful, intelligent people have generally come to the consensus that all available evidence suggests that not only is this not true, but we have plenty of evidence to the opposite, that we people use their entire brain all the time, regardless of what personality they have. Yep, there you go. I think that's a great place to end it. Sweet. All right. Well, let's do a couple of quick recommendations. Recommendations. Okay. So my recommendation this week is a record. I am a big music dork and I love finding new records and listening to bands that I like and just like kind of sitting in and spinning something, you know, uh, one of my favorite people that I like to listen to and like to read their writings is Henry Rollins. And he describes music as either being protein music or carbohydrate music and protein music being like new music (laughs) that you listen to that you have to like, you have to take the time to consume and it kind of takes something out of you to do that. And so, you know, I always like discovering new music and the last couple of weeks, this band called beach slang came out and they put out a new record called the deadbeat bang of heartbreak city. Now, if you're not familiar with this band, they have a very like 90s alternative vibe type of sound. If you like bands like The Replacements, they kind of they bite on that style a lot. Oh. Really cool arrangements and stuff. And so um, I've been really digging it. It's a really great record. The band themselves, they're a great band, but th- this album is pretty good. I've been I've been really enjoying it. That reminds me that there's a couple of new bands I've been listening to. I want to recommend for a later episode. But for now, what I'm going to recommend is the movie Train to Busan. Oh. Yeah, I think this was a Korean film. I'm so sorry if I got this wrong, but it was a sort of zombie horror movie. And I just think that it was super well done, very creepy, a couple of cool twists and turns, good sort of character development and um, really complex characters. And uh, I just thought it was it was a really good, really fun movie. So if you are into horror movies, if you are into zombie movies, if you are into foreign movies, if you're into cinema generally... I would recommend Train to Busan, which should be available on Netflix. And I actually think it might be a Netflix original that I'm not sure of, but it definitely is on Netflix at the time that I recorded this. All right. I'm adding it. I love zombie movies. Sweet. Anything else to add before we wrap up? Nope. I think that covers it. Okay. If you are right or left brain, please let us know. If you have any interesting stories about how you debunked right or left brain personality, I'd certainly like to hear and share that. If you have anything else you'd like to communicate with us, we would really like to hear from you. Please contact us on any of our social media platforms. Both that and our email are basically at podcast with info at for the email. And you can always reach us through those platforms and we will reply. 
and maybe even share your story on the podcast. Sounds good. Otherwise, you can support this show by leaving us a rating and a review. You can join us on Patreon to get access to a whole bunch of bonus content, as well as talk with us personally. We are kind of thinking about doing a live stream thing. This should probably be news to everyone on the team since I forgot to mention it during our team (laughs) meeting, but this is something that we (laughs) might do um, in the future, and hopefully we'll have had a chance to discuss and maybe even edit this part out by the time we've gotten here by the time this episode publishes otherwise thank you for listening thank you for recording with me today shane and until next time keep it real i've never ended with that i don't know why i said that but <laughs> the change of the format i know i'm screwing it up i'm so sorry well thank you for listening uh, this is abraham and this is shane and we are out good night global citizens <laughs> you've been listening to why we do what we do Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. statistics i have such a hard word a time saying that word apparently i can't say anything right now